I'll tell you, you know, over the last little while, you know, I've been going through this, what I consider quite a transformative period in my practice. And one of the things that I've realized is that, you know, you think you're doing it all right at this point, but it's always going to be changing. And, you know, it's never going to be perfect from day one, you know. Um, and so trying to go back and fix it up is you get the George Lucas effect where it's like, well, we'll just take, we'll take Obi-Wan out and replace it with this other thing. And, and you do that, but you end up killing the thing that people loved at that moment, moment in time about your work, you know. And yeah. we were just talking about that with your photo. It's like, yeah, back in the day, that was what it needed to be. Yeah. Um, but today you look back, but if you hadn't have done that, would you be who you are today? If you hadn't have made those edits or done it the way you did it? Um, and then you get quite, you can get self-reflective and start criticizing your, your past self. But I think you got to love your old work and what you said and stand behind it, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a good point. Very good point. Um, it's like the thing about, do you have regrets? And I don't mean just about photography, but in life, yes. you, you, someone that says, yes, I have regrets. That shouldn't change. You know, that, that shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened. Or you, the sort of person that says all those regrets build to who I am now. And so I do not have regrets because I'm happy with who I am now. And I suppose there is a bit of that with photography, isn't there? And whether you regret it or not, and, you can't go back. And you can't, and you can't even help it with, um, when it comes to a lot of digital advances that some stuff you look at, like the stuff I was just talking about, looked bad, partly because um, digital advances would have enabled me to make it look a lot better now. Yes. But it was film or it was a really old digital camera and that kind of thing. You just know you're not getting the resolution you want. Exactly. And there's a certain kind of nostalgia as well, I believe. You know, I'm, I'm quite a fan of sort of older films. And when I say older, I mean 70s, you know, 70s, 80s. And some, I don't know if you're familiar with Andre Tarkovsky, you know, and the way they did special effects back then, which was, you know, pouring ink onto film and all sorts of, you know, raw approaches yet they um you know today it's 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 hyper digitized and it's almost or oh, it's fake you know it's it's deep fake i don't i can't i can't, I can't watch it anymore you know? yeah well that's interesting though because that kind of um i don't know that opens up that whole thing about uh using film do you use film or are you all digital myself um yeah. digital because i i've struggled for the last sort of five ten years of all these youngsters using film obsessively and you go to Massey and you know see everyone doing their degree and loads of them are using film and I, I kind of know it's generational because I was brought up doing that at university but the, the, the idea of digital came along and physically arrived and you think well this is much easier let's do this because it's all about making pictures it's not about the process and now, thirty years later, they're interested in the process. If you yeah, if you want the mind blower, what it is, in my opinion, is the search for authenticity. And in this age, you know, for young people today, for millennials, Zoomers, you know, they are looking for something that connects to the real. And film is one of the ways that they are exploring that. You know, and I've dabbled with it. Um, when I first moved to Tokyo, I was shooting a little bit of film. Brought my first film camera. Um, from a nice little second-hand camera store in Ibizu. And that was that was where I started. I shot a couple of rolls, and, uh, you know, then after that it was digital the rest of the way because that's, that's what allowed me to create the images that I wanted to create. Yeah, I guess they're seeing it as a... They're digital natives and seeing it as a backlash to the digital, yeah. whereas I'm still seeing the digital as a new thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite handy. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that was a nice, soft, rolling start, and I like that. 
natural stuff, but um, as you've heard a few of the podcasts in the past, I'm always really interested to know your background, if you don't mind, yes. in terms of you know where you're from and any kind of, I guess any kind of arty influences that um, whether they come from your background or came later on, and then maybe specifically photography influences about why why photography, I suppose. Okay, well I can give you the pepe high if you like. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a small town in Hawke's Bay uh, in New Zealand, uh, rural, semi-rural, but we weren't farmers. So we were kind of in this interstitial space between urban and rural, spent a lot of time in the mountains, fishing, hunting, that sort of thing. Um, I had zero interest in photography, um, a little bit of interest in general arts, um, but really I was just a, a bogan, as we say in New Zealand. Um, and then, uh, I, I, you know, childhood happened, all of that stuff. Um, and then I, uh, I was just working in Hastings, um, in a small town, and uh, I actually was cleaning offices and, uh, you know, just vacuuming after hours and that. And it was it was really interesting. It was, it was like a liminal space. You go there and you just sort of, you're by yourself, you've got the white noise of the vacuum cleaner. Um, and one day I was cleaning the Smith & Smith auto glass uh, you know, building the yeah. little office on Cutting Road in Hastings, and I had this idea suddenly hit me that I should move to Japan. Um, came out of nowhere. I had zero interest prior to that, um, and then I thought, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Uh, and that was these the beginning of a series of events and kind of, I guess, a process where I started listening to that little voice that gave me. In what way did it? I mean, you say it hit you. Was there something? Was it, it was there, it was inspiration. I don't know what it was, but I remember the place and I remember the time. There was nothing connected to Japan, yeah. but it just came to me. And, and I've, I've learned to listen to that voice, that sort of subconscious sort of moment. Um, and that said, okay, go to Japan. So I ended up having to do a bit of the groundwork. I had to move to Wellington, um, the big city at that time for myself. And uh, I studied Japanese. You know, I needed a degree to actually get a visa to move into Japan and to, to do all of that. So I came here. Studied hard, got a scholarship, did a few things, and I found myself over in Japan, um, studying and then um, and living over there, actually. Um, and during my study time there, I was there for a year, actually, at university uh, in Tokyo, uh, I got to know a bunch of old-school photographers. You know, Tokyo is, I mean, you can still see Daido Moriyama walking around Shinjuku. You know, there's these guys kind of floating around. Um, I didn't get to meet uh, Daido, but um, there's a couple other people who I kind of tangentially got introduced to and I started hanging out with them and I was like man this is really cool you know this is what I want to do and um, I, I got the experience of also joining the camera club which is very you know kind of kawaii it's very Japanese but I joined the university camera club and we went up to Iwate which was hit by the uh, tsunami and earthquake in 2011 that was that big one that really was quite devastating um, and we went up there with a bunch of students as doing some volunteer work to kind of help with the recovery because it was still super you know, super tough up there even when I went there. And I took my camera and I was just taking photos and um, what was really powerful was to see the foundations of buildings that had been washed away by the tsunami and photographing that. And what you're really photographing is kind of the, the memory of a place. And I, I still remember in the summer festival, we, we, you know, there's a street festival where we carry around this kind of, they call it the omikoshi, it's this thing, this, this kind of shrine that you, everyone carries on their backs. And I joined in, and we carry it around kind of the foundations of the buildings, kind of greeting everyone, you know, sort of metaphorically. 
as we as we did that and, and I was taking photos as well and just that act of kind of the memory and the map of that place that no longer existed for me it really sort of kicked off this fascination with places and architecture and wandering I guess um, and, and it kind of started to connect back with the older idea of what what I was doing in New Zealand you know wandering around the mountains by myself you know it's just sort of that this idea of kind of exploring places um, and, and that was kind of a latent hobby and I was really into it but I you know doing design work primarily digital, digital design um, working at agency in Tokyo and that sort of continued to kind of develop under the surface and then I got a few people start to see my work um, it started to get out there I got a few projects coming and it started taking off so um, that's kind of where formally it got recognized um, and started uh, turning into a thing um, I did a book um, crowdfunded a book about uh, public public housing architecture and it, it all sort of yes yeah, start uh, sort of spiraled out of control from there but I think the really the beginning of it was yeah that hit of inspiration on Karami Road while I was vacuuming I was just listening to that, how uh, it's interesting how the um, post tsunami, it was another liminal space, really, wasn't it? Cause it was exactly. Between um, being an inhabited city and before the new inhabited city. Uh, it was, up. yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. Like, we, we, I went up there three times with the University Volunteer Club because uh, tentatively it was a Christian university, so it had a strong ethos of volunteer work. And I mean, it's. It, it was it was founded you know 150 years ago so it wasn't really Christian today but it had that kind of thing going on so they did a lot of that sort of work um, and I went up there um, in the summertime and it was just it was beautiful and then we went back in the winter and you got a meter of snow and we we went and did some volunteer work up at the old old folks home and helping clean out their big um, they got like these big communal baths and things and you know we we're cleaning it out and, and it was just the most sublime. But, I mean, the word they use in Japanese is mono no aware. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's... I mean, Japanese culture, if you were to just sort of wrap that up, I think that one phrase describes it, which, to translate it, is the pathos of existence. It's a very Japanese concept, but that, you know, that was infused in me over those uh, those years that I was living there and um, talking to these older people who, many of them are like 100 years old, talking about you know and for us i was with these you know other japanese students from tokyo and it's like we were you know they, they even had this dialect and everything and it was like wow you know this is an artifact a living artifact and and thankfully i was able to speak japanese and, and kind of communicate with them and kind of just find their story you know what was it like in the old days you know is there i was wondering if there's a connection um between mali see the land you know the fanua and the way you're talking about the way they're seeing the land in japan yeah i think Definitely, moving overseas and leaving behind everything I knew, it, it prompted questions about my own connection to the land um, and my own history. And and you know you you don't really ask those questions until you you need to. Uh, and so definitely, I I see a strong connection with that. And it's something that in the modern world it's easy to gloss over and rebuild and and kind of layer things on top of it. But always at the deepest layer, there's something there. And your work's all about it being glossed over. I think so, yeah. And um, the layers of it, really. Mm. I mean, I was, I was wondering that in terms of, you know, your kind of neon, kind, kind of quite photoshopped in terms of getting that blue kind of uh, wash and everything. Uh, why why the city then, do you think? Why the, why the city? 
Uh, recently, I've, I've been reading um, Italo Calvino's uh, Invisible Cities, which is a, is a classic book, and it, it really, for me, is this kind of fascination. You know, my connection to the city is, is, is one of fascination and awe, growing up in this semi-rural, nothing burger of, of a town. Going to a place like Tokyo is, you know, unbelievable. And because I'm not an, a native of, of that world, it's it's constantly inspiring. And, and I want to know what's the history of it because it changes so fast. And, you know, the, the, the old Tokyo, the new Tokyo, everything about it was, um, you know, interesting for me. And, and I could just wander around for hours just, you know, looking at the buildings uh, and the layers, you know, because it is a three-dimensional city. You've got the subways underneath and then the, the city and then, you know, walkways and, and, and skyscrapers. And we just don't have anything like that here where I grew up. So it was, it was a fascination. Um, and also when I was looking at your work, I was wondering, you know, you mentioned um, Invisible Cities. Have you sort of read much about the flaneur and all that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, you're, again, the way you talk about your work is always very much about you on your own investigating an urban space, which felt like it was immediate connection to the streets of Paris in that, the 1800s. That's exactly right. I One of my, I guess, organising concepts, and this is an interesting thing, coming back to Wellington after all these years, but when I was here at, at university... Um, I uh, I was did a media studies paper and um, we got exposed to this concept of derive or derive is a French word and it's very much connected to the flaneur and the idea of this sort of wandering a city in Paris in particular in this kind of non-linear way and seeing it not for what it is on the map but the way it feels and the way it connects uh, and my organising concept for all my my work is this philosophy of derive and that's kind of what I call the I guess the, one of the, the, the tenets of the project um, is, is that kind of wandering aspect um, and applying that to different locations. Yeah, And it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's... I suppose it, it stemmed from that kind of modernist idea of an objective way of looking at the city. Yeah. And yet... Um, well, A, we know that that's bullshit anyway because nothing's mm. objective in that manner. But also your work is really um, highly polished and has kind of an advertising aesthetic, I'd say. That could easily be a Asahi advert or something. Some of those those shots are just... I have shot Asahi, yeah. Well, perfect. Yeah. There you go. Um, so how does that kind of high-end aesthetic that you choose to shoot mix with this kind of more liminal spaces because they're not really liminal spaces most of the ones you're shooting they're yeah. very much defined spaces aren't yeah. they? I think um, well, yeah so I guess there is a spectrum of work I, I do think there are liminal pieces in, in, in the body of work um, some of the key images are a little bit more recognisable but I guess to answer the question about the, the, the style so I shoot I shoot with digital you know um, I got you know high resolution I shoot with Sony gear and then I use architecture lenses um, tilt shift lenses and you know tripods so that was a development over a little period you know at first I was doing a lot of handheld stuff but the way I, I look at it is it's is a very scientific and as objective as possible way of, of shooting you know it's it's architecture it could be in a magazine right it's straight lines it's it's it is what it is but it's shooting non-traditional places, you know, maybe older buildings or places that are decrepit and that sort of thing. And it's almost this kind of documentary approach where it's like, what is the, you know, I'm this kind of scientific traveler coming back and shooting these things and capturing them before they go 
and, and, and I'm not trying to put any kind of individual spin on, on, on it. It's just the, it's the image the camera set up. It's 1.2 meters off the ground, f11, 10 seconds. You know, that's it. I, I don't I don't do anything else except put the camera there, and then it, it becomes this objective piece, even though it's not. You know, um, and for me, then all of the images live in the same universe of snapshots of of places through time. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I suppose that you know we heard of each other mainly because of your great new project you've been oh, working you. on in in New Zealand. Um, and I was just wondering whether you could say something about that. I'm, I'm wondering, like New Zealand nocturnes, did you just did you just go out wandering as, I mean, I know I have throughout my life um, with a camera, especially at night, and I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Mm. And then it kind of hooked nicely on the housing crisis. I mean, how, how, did, how did the sort of, um, how did the project come about? Can you say some more about yeah, I, I, so New Zealand Nocturnes has been, I, w- I would say it's been three years in the making. Um, and it actually began before I returned to New Zealand and it's gone through a lot of development as I I was kind of ready to do my next project so I did I did my public housing book in Japan I did my Bangkok Phosphors my second book in, in Thailand and then I was like okay what am I going to do next so I, I need to address the question of myself all of my work had been about other places and other people's homes and it was quite external and and, and, and it felt like I was this kind of arbitrary person just sort of shooting it and, and I thought like it's time for me to come back I feel like you're a faneur. I mean, yeah. again, that comes down to how much you're the outsider looking in, Outside, which was the yeah. kind of idea of it. Yes. You know, um, so that you are objective because you're seeing it in this objective way. But when you come home, and maybe sometimes that changes because uh, yeah. it becomes personal. It, it, it was it became very personal, and and I came back, and and the thing that was was difficult was that I I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I belonged here anymore and honestly I were you forced back because of COVID or what was kind of I I had come back and forth um and the the last time we we came back uh we thought okay we were ready to go and then things started looking a bit dodgy and we thought okay we'll just wait it out um and so we we ended up staying here but it wasn't our intention to spend 18 months two years here um for sure and so we've kind of been forced back here kept back here and though what it did is it it was really important i think looking back that i did that uh with you know looking at what home meant you know okay at first we came back to hawks bay uh where i had grown up but i didn't really have that much family there anymore everyone had seemed to sort of scatter away and so it was this like place where the physicality of it connected with me still but i didn't really have any real connection to it i mean my grandparents still live there but the rest of my family had kind of moved on so I ended up staying with my grandparents uh, for a while because we didn't. Uh, it's yeah, there's not really that much else there. There's you know, it's it's a small place. So we stayed there, and that was really cool to con- kind of connect back back with them and and spend time with my grandfather and his, you know, listen to his old stories of the old days and 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 time. You know, we, I hadn't done that since I was a kid. You know, just spending time with them, and that was really for, you know, I'm fortunate fortunate that I could do that and and spend that time with them. And but, but before that, I had started the series. I think. It had come in at quite a superficial level. I was like, well, I'm going to shoot New Zealand. I don't quite know what it is going to be, but I'm going to shoot something. And then as I went through that journey of of staying in Hawke's Bay and kind of wandering my old homes, the old the place I called home, I thought, okay, can I capture this? And it's very challenging to do it from... When I think of myself as a New Zealander and, and I'm in that mode of thinking, it's very hard for me to shoot that. 
and so what I have to do quite consciously is kind of the rituals of my practice from Tokyo or from when I was overseas and apply that to New Zealand and so I would wander around and basically no one else would be doing that because it's just not normal but I would go around with my camera my tripod and shoot stuff and I had this local knowledge so I knew where I could go and what I could do and what I could say to get into a place but I also had this kind of outsider perspective which allowed me to shoot it and I don't know if you know what I mean but like I've it's very easy to get self-conscious if it's your own place and your own people and you think oh I'd rather just not do it but it really it took a lot of effort to break through that wall and you know I'd go and talk to people and like oh you're from around here and I'm like yeah oh, yeah but I almost like you put on a persona so that you can deal with it because you're, you're still an outsider looking in yeah I found that that was quite an interesting process yeah I wonder whether that's um again I'm probably projecting <laughs> it, but I think the nature of photography for me since I mean I was into it as a later on as a kid I suppose yeah. has always been as a enabler to enable me to go to places that I wouldn't otherwise necessarily have gone and to meet people that I wouldn't necessarily have met exactly and even the same now that having this conversation with you and doing podcasts about it is you know part of that journey I think of meeting people that I wouldn't otherwise have met through mm. photography I suppose mm. so um, yeah and it's interesting that you said it enabled you to get in because most of the ones feel like they're very much you're not getting in but you're looking on from the outside in a really quite voyeuristic way yeah there was there was quite real window isn't it yeah no it it has developed into that there were some earlier pieces um unreleased uh, where i I, for example i I managed to get into the old stortford lodge um this old working man's club and it's from it's from the new zealand that i never knew but my parents knew which was the 1970s 1980s um i want to say bogan but basically everything about that old New Zealand has kind of evaporated away and left just this residue so you know um, no seatbelts smoking inside um, all, all of the cultural paraphernalia has kind of disappeared but the memory of it's still there and that Stortford Lodge Working Man's Club is is still kind of got the that and, and I managed to get in there and shoot it and I got the pool table and kind of the old you know tui beer bottles up on the on, up on the shelf and I you know I, I photographed that and I thought you know what this is this is iconic because it's it's forgotten it's like this artifact and it's just you know and one day it will just go away and they'll put something else up there and it will get gentrified and and I thought you know this I couldn't have done that if I'd gone in as as myself I had to go in as this like Japanese photographer coming in fresh and being like, look, you know, hey guys, can I take some photos of this place, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I, I respond to that a lot in terms of coming from the UK only six years ago, and I'd say the first three or four years I was, you know, looking out the window at buildings that made over wood, thinking, God, that's so crazy. Yeah. But now it's it's been normalised completely, mm. and I think you, you have a sweet spot of coming somewhere and seeing it as an outsider, maybe, and then that slowly goes away. Yeah. But interestingly, also, I was thinking you were talking a lot about the interiors there and that kind of documentary aspect, which I've done, and people like, you know, Harry Culey's done really well and stuff, you know, I really like those interiors, but... Um, uh, but your, the body of work, as it became shown at the Auckland Festival, etc., is very much exterior um, blocks of colour through the windows mm. and that kind of thing. Mm. So it feels like it's a bit different to that because you're kind of suggesting an almost romanticised 
past that you're looking into and and then suddenly what you're actually producing later on in the project is a, deta- a detached, yeah. cynical kind of look at it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of... It went through, again, it's three years in the making, so, you know, this this was sort of, uh, you know, a while ago now that I, I was doing that. And, and at that point, I was still doing a lot of exterior stuff based kind of in the vein of my earlier work. Um, but I think the development was... I moved, you know, we managed to get out of, out of Hastings, which is a feat in itself. And, yeah. and it wasn't just Hastings. If anyone knows um, that area, it's actually a place called Flaxmere, which is a, a very low-income area where I was living. Um, you know, it was where I grew up. And uh, it's, it's really hard to get out. And even coming back, it was like, um, you know, it feels like it kind of ca- captures you. And so we managed to get the escape velocity to come down to Wellington, which I, I still, I had liked this place, but... Um, I don't know. There just there was there was these kind of mental barriers to do that, and so coming to Wellington, I met um, actually um, a good friend of mine now. But at that time, we had only just met uh, Graham Frost, who's my curator for New Zealand Nocturnes, and he's oh, yeah. he's really helped me. Um, you know, we, we we went through a lot of discourse around the project, and also becoming a little bit more cognizant of the housing crisis, which. I don't like to politicise my work, I just sort of show it as it is, but it became quite clear to me that the old New Zealand that I had been exploring in that formative period was going away, you know, and it's basically gentrified and, you know, no one can afford to live here pretty much and it's like, well, what does that mean when the buildings themselves are still from that period? And so there was a lot of those sort of questions and I realised that, you know, the outside looking in was, that was the mode that I needed to present the work Mm -hmm. in. Uh, and there are in this in the body of work there are a couple of ind- images that are inside buildings which are very important pieces and some of them haven't been shown yet um, publicly but th- those ones sort of fit the, the I guess the inside outside dynamic yeah but most of it is outside looking in yeah and I, I'm I'm guessing although I don't know um, is that when RNZ and other people ask you for an interview it, it's, it's that hook that seems quite a nice easy hook to say housing crisis Cody's come back can't get yeah. a house yeah. he photographs houses yeah. in, to talk about the housing crisis but I feel it's a bit more than that as well really um, don't you think I mean there's, there's, there's an as- lots of aesthetic decisions that go beyond um, it just being about that I yeah think. well I, I think Having done this for just just a little while, I, I, I do. I've kind of worked out that you know you do need to have a number of levels, and so I think at at a most basic level you can say, well, it's it's images of houses, housing crisis, you know that sort of thing. And then there is there is aesthetic layers that can be put on top of that, depending on how far you want to go. Um, and so yeah, for for what's politically kind of publicly relevant, it's like yeah, it's it's a ridiculous situation, which is not even just New Zealand; it's it's a global thing right now. Um, you know, which is, I think, reflective of a, of a larger change in just the financial system, kind of the way things are working. Um, you know, Australia, the US, everywhere, to differing degrees, housing has become this store of value as cash loses, you know, fiat money loses value and whatnot. It's, it's amazing how it is so much New Zealand, though. That's so depressing, isn't it? Because in the six years I've lived here, it's just gone mental. Yeah. To the point where coming over six years ago, um, things felt in Wellington oh they're a little bit more affordable than the UK mm. now it's the other way around I think that is just so shocking in a you know a country that has got a lot of poverty and a lot of inequality it's just rocketing in the wrong direction really yes and and, and again c- kind of seeing that coming up 
from the <laughs> from from the bottom of that, seeing it uh, in, in Hawke's Bay and in different places where it is low income and it's you know it's it's gravitational. Yeah. Um, you know, Wellington and Auckland. You know, it, it's like the, these chess pieces of, of houses. You know, these pawns and these rooks and things. And it's like the ladder. All all of these concepts I, I find very globalist and and very. <sighs> It, it, it seems like just the antithesis of that old New Zealand, which again I, I don't have direct memories of. I, I only have it through osmosis from my my parents' generation, or my grandparents, and the way things used to be, and this kind of nostalgia for the New Zealand where you could leave your doors unlocked and you go to the beach, and you know all of these kind of cultural Kiwiana memories, which are kind of you know fake in a way anyway. But yeah, yeah. you know just the kind of relationship between those. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um... Now I'm going to have to cut this bit out because I just haven't got another question that's pretty into mind. No, no, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> I, to, just to expand a little bit on that, Andy, like, I think the the, the series, it, it has evolved and, and it's fallen into this niche or this it's fallen into a really good space where it's like it's, it's really relevant to people's lives. Um, you know, the images of the houses and kind of presenting them back to people. Um, I think the form of the New Zealand houses, you mentioned the wood before, you know, they're all made out of wood here and... What I find really interesting is some of the just the architectural elements. You know, in Wellington we've got these bay windows on everything, and I, I became obsessive about that. You know, I dream about it, and I think, okay, why is it like that? It's because it's not a New Zealand style. It's it's been imported and changed and remixed and and kind of cheapened in a way. But they, and then they're done out of wood, and so there's that. And then I think one more layer into it, which I talk a little bit about in my own sort of journaling, because I do a lot of writing about my work, which I don't always release. But what I find really interesting is the material. So, you know, you've got these houses made out of totara or rimu or the kind of, or even in Auckland, you've got the kauri trees. And so the kind of the connection to the land that you've cut these trees down, these native native trees to build these houses, these white picket fences on, on the land that they once stood. There's something quite quite interesting about that relationship and just as with say traditional Maori housing you know the the way that it's more regenerative you know um kind of made from wood and then it rots away over time and then gets rebuilt you know we've still got these houses 150 years 120 years later that are you know you're in one yeah yeah I'm, <laughs> we're in one right now but it's still here and the layers of, of paint just sort of keep it standing this yeah. sort of artifact <laughs> yes you know? that's very true yeah. found some interesting orange paint the other day that yeah. something was knocked in the wall and I thought wow under my knuckles yeah put in there sometime in the 70s I'm quite interested um you sort of touched on the fact that when you're in Japan you did photography and graphics work for um, ad agencies and stuff I was quite interested in how your professional practice integrates with your artistic practice in photography whether you've actively gone out seeking commissions in, in the photographic world or whether it's just some, sometimes they come to you and you do them but generally you just maintain your own independent art practice I'd say it's the latter um, I, 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 in the early period you know, I thought look I want to I want to push this a bit more, but I, I quickly found that I'm not. That's not me. Um, and looking on it now, you know, I, I, what's what I've found has worked for myself is having effectively a, a dual practice where I have, you know, a, I do a lot of digital work still, um, and that it kind of enables my creative practice. And so when I was living in Thailand and Japan and different places, I was able to do digital work from my computer. Um, and then I could also work on my, my larger personal projects. And I think if I had been 
purely focusing on one of those, I wouldn't have been able to to, to, to do what I did. Um, and I still believe there's there's a you know a, a real opportunity for for people to have basically a, a job that's creative potentially or, or digital at least that they can do remotely um, or from a computer, work from home, that sort of thing. Um, and it could be anything; it doesn't matter. But then also having uh, your creative practice, which is enabled by the freedom of travel. And, and I found that's really works for me. And my intention is um, to get back on the road at some point and, and have this digital business, which I'm still running, kind of ticking over. Um, and then I can go to places, shoot, create, um, and uh, kind of feeds into each other. Yeah. Um, it's, a dream, yeah it's a dream combination, I think. I mean, I've, I've obviously spoken to lots of photographers um, and... I remember speaking to Tim Belling and I think I don't know if it was on the podcast I put out or whether it was a preamble we chatted before probably a preamble actually <laughs> but um, it's that thing where some photographers are having to sell their prints in galleries um, some photographers are having to do commercial commissions like me um, some photographers are having to teach mm-hmm. uh, in teach photography other photographers do something that's one or two steps separate from photography but probably has a relationship with it like you um and you kind of look for a purity in you want to be an artist basically that has no one tapping on your shoulder saying do this do that and you want to be but you have to survive so there's always that element where you have to survive and have an income and there's very very few artists that don't have you know something tapping on their shoulder saying go this direction go that direction so i think in a way having another way of earning the money and then leaving your art practice totally freed up to go in whatever direction you want to go is quite a nice position to be in really yeah i mean i think what what i found works for me is you know and and again i've got i've got these i've got these skills in the digital world which actually translate over because i can build websites for my own projects and that sort of thing as well but with the photography I, i think the pure freedom thing is a bit of a myth like i i do you know working with graham frost you know you know he says stuff i'm like okay cool you know like because i at the end of the day we're, we're trying to deploy this work and um i'm not going to just sit, sit in the room and, and just do it you know it, I, it, it is a negotiation with the the art world the kind of the landscape out there um and and kind of curating it and 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 making it be what it needs to be so that there's always sort of this kind of refinement process so I appreciate the the shoulder taps and the, and the discussions which inform the work, um, but it's it's always from a position of what is the message, as opposed to the, you know, take take this, you know. Which is another thing I was I was thinking about actually about your work is that you're um, you're very good at getting oh, out there. Thank you. Aren't you? Yeah. You know you're you're good at um, when you look through your web your website. <laughs> You're really good at getting out there and, and doing the social media and getting onto little radio shows and all that kind of thing. It's I'm impr- I was so so impressed oh, because it, how um, how conscious is that? Because personally, I shy away from anything like that. You know, it took me a lot of convincing that I should do that talk at the city gallery because. You, that was really I don't good. really like standing up and talking. No, that that was really good though. I was I, I really enjoyed that talk, Andy. Um, uh, so with with the media, well, with the I guess getting it out there, my thoughts had then this sort of arcs back to, to Danchi Dreams, which was my my first book in in Japan. At the end of the day, I was the only person that I could see who was taking photos of these buildings. Um, it was a very in the way that I was doing it. They, they were getting knocked over. They, they were all, um, you know for context, they were these huge public housing projects all over the country, 
and they were slowly just disappearing. And I thought, okay, I, it's my responsibility to take these photos. I, I don't have a choice in the matter. I have to do it. And it's my responsibility to get it out there into the world. And that I think that made the difference. And that was where a lot of this stuff began and these relationships started is I thought, okay, it's not even about me anymore. It's about these buildings. And in the same, in the same vein, New Zealand Nocturnes, you know, it, it's, it's kind of Cody, but it's not. It's actually like, yeah, I'm just taking the photo. It's, it's the, the, the buildings and the story that needs to get out there. Um, and, and I think people respond to that and you can like tie a message into it. Um, and, and the people are, oh, wow, you know, they needed to see that. And if they didn't see it, the, 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 by seeing it, the, the, the world has become a more informed and better place, I hope. Um, by not seeing it, it wouldn't do that. And so from that perspective, it's not like, you know, hey, you know, glory, glory to me. It's like, hey. it's always that difficulty of, you know, how much can we really expect our photography to change the world yeah. in the way that, you know, in the 70s and 80s, photojournalists were shooting Vietnam or whatever, thinking that it was great that they were doing this because it, it would change public opinion. And we've seen that, you know, maybe apart from Vietnam, that has never really happened. Well, I mean... Um, I, I mean, it's a real hard one, isn't it? Because we'd like to think as photographers that we are doing something, but it's sometimes I think I'm doing it more for me than anyone else. Well, <laughs> so it's interesting you mention that because I had a good friend in Tokyo Taro Karibe who's he, he, he was like the first guy to get on the plane over to um, Myanmar to shoot the refugee crisis they had over there um, and and um, you know that sort of stuff and, and, and you know for me that was like man that's cool you know like he's, he's ready to put himself out there and then for myself you know the, the buildings you know maybe it's not on that same level but still this kind of question of housing and belonging which is I think my practice has morphed into this the question of housing basically or home um, and my own connection to home as well but over time it's morphed into focusing on that and and i believe in the in this day and age it is such an important question you know and we've got this kind of politically and this is a, a meta thing but we've got this um balkanization of society literally you can't even travel but it's also like well you're that i'm this you know and and so i hate you and it's like that's not the way things should work we all have a home we return to um and whether you're you know from this country or that country or on that side of the spectrum of you know politics or this side or whatever we're all we all live somewhere we have a home and the lights are on and our kids are there having a good time you know and there's something that that's kind of like the the north star or southern cross i guess for I was us just sniggering because yeah. you used the word meta to start that conversation yes that's oh. what facebook could just change their name to oh it? man so, yeah oh, there's some, some oh, irony in that. yeah I'm, I'm sorry to mention that <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I know what you mean, and I I think um, yeah, I was, there's a there's an old photographer. I say old; he's literally just retired from um, lecturing in the UK called Paul Rees. That was like a big '80s photographer, at the same time as Martin Parr and Paul Graham and all that lot were coming out. And um, I heard him talk on a podcast the other day, an English podcast, not too dissimilar to this one. Conversations with UK photographers and international photographers, but. Um, but he, he was saying that, um, you know, it's, it's that thing about the... He he did this work um, that was fantastic and looked at social issues and attempted social change and was, I guess, what you call social documentary photography now. Um, but there was that sort of feeling he had that it never created change. Well, the, the, well, and and it was, it's just a, re it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because I think yeah. you go into it... There, well, there's activism, right? You know, and and yeah. politically charged imagery, right? And I think one of the flip sides as well is that 
we live in this consumption age where every image is this kind of like it is fake you know you can only assume that it's fake until you've it's been proven that it's not um and where i guess with my work you know it, it is a little bit more like the you've got to stand there and look at it and it's a body of work it's never really just a single image um and so looking at it like that it, it may not change people like say uh, you know there's key images of of some vietnam war you know execution you know there's there's these key images of that period right where whereas what we're looking at here is more of a subtle slow burn yeah is that into the debate yeah I mean, is, is that um i was just thinking i haven't seen your images physically where, where am I going to see them? Um, I, I got a, I got a couple of prints at the office uh, in my studio. But but... Is there, have you got an exhibition lined up? Because obviously I don't know what happened with the Auckland Photo Festival, but I assume with COVID that got... Yeah, postponed. So yeah. the intention is um, that we're going to have a show next uh, next year in Auckland, um, and that's kind of going to be the inaugural public showing of New Zealand Nocturnes. And then we've got a couple of other things we're working on for next year. So myself and Graham are working together to kind of get the show touring around New Zealand a little bit so I haven't got anything I can announce yet but um, yeah next year we're hopefully going to That's show good. those here and is there a core set of images is there like 20 images or how would you how would you sort of define that uh, so yeah the, the, the Auckland show uh, is, is curated we've got 31 pieces in there um, so that's pretty much just on ice until we can actually go to Auckland and do that show next year um, but uh, yeah the, the series is, is, is there and then there is a broader body of work which um, we can pull from uh, potentially for other shows or, or even a book potentially so I've got 4,000 I need a Graham Graham sounds great he's a great guy um, <laughs> yeah he's he's fantastic he works um, he does uh, freelance curation um, production he do, he works with the performance arcade I don't know if you yeah no I met him um, oh yeah yeah, gallery. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 must be in that evening room yeah 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 no yeah, that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. 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 so he, he works at the gallery, city gallery as well um, but he's super talented and really I think what for me is powerful is having someone who understands I guess the kind of the academic and, and kind of the, the, the connections from the art landscape and then so I, I can kind of just go and do my thing and then we have these discussions say well actually you know have you seen this or have you seen that and, and then it kind of connects together um, and just great to have someone else to always bounce stuff off yeah and he, li- he lives next door to me justify the project off and- <laughs> so when, when you popped over earlier you said that you were currently in a hotel working on a book yes so tell me more. So um, I just locked myself away in the in the Quest Hotel um, on Hunter Street and in, in the Wellington C- CBD. Um, I just thought, you know what, um, the world's crazy right now. Um, I, I just need a bit of space to do my own thing. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I left my my home and just I'm in a liminal space of a hotel and um, just been writing. So I've been working on a novel for the last two years actually, um, kind of autobiographic but just sort of encapsulating some of my travels and things that I've done and just bringing that all together um, as, as a piece so yeah I'm 70,000 words deep in a, in a in a book which one day hopefully we'll we'll, we'll see the light so of that so was this just a way of pushing it on a little bit yeah intensely yeah it was really good and just also uh, I don't know there's this because let me put it this way. Last year, we moved to Wellington, and we thought, okay, cool, there's a bit of hope. We're going we're gonna to be able to go and travel again by the end of the year. Everything's going to open up. And that hasn't come through, as you know. Um, and so we're sort of stuck here again in, in limbo. Um, and that, I, I think, mentally, I was like, okay, I, I, I was hoping that I had hope, and then that's sort of been dashed. And I think a lot of people are feeling that, you know, just in, in this country. And so I needed to do something that would just 
re-energize yeah um and you know when i was traveling i was staying in hotels i was in airbnbs i was all over the show and, and it just kind of it, it, it's my thing you know two patagonia bags in my camera you know like <laughs> and so if i can kind of like placebo affect that and and, and just do that yeah it, it just yeah and it was worth it um, yeah yeah and are you working on any other photographic projects are you still ongoing with New Zealand Nocturne. Oh, I mean, Nocturne, New Zealand Nocturnes, it, it's kind of the, the, everything about New Zealand is in that, in that project. So any photos I take while I'm here are kind of part of that. Um, so I haven't probably been taking as much as I was, say, six months ago. Um, but I think coming into next year, I'll hopefully take a little bit more. Um, but yeah, nothing new just yet. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say thank you. That, yeah. was, that was great. Yes. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. And, no? You know, good luck with... New Zealand Nocturnes coming out. Thank you. One day. It's, it's been, I, hope, it's, I hope you escape soon. Yeah, well, it's, 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 <laughs> it's the second time, actually, it's been postponed because I was going to do the first show in 2020. So right. a third time lucky. Yeah. Um, but third time will be the best, I think. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Each time it sort of sets back yeah. and then you... Give do, you a bit more space, yeah. bigger images. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. All right. Nice work. I'll how stop it. it. How, hopefully the audio is all good. Yeah, it's always rubbish for me. I'm not very good at these things. I just...